0: That's what Jesus is for. You know, this is how you deal with guilt God's way. You give it to God. Just like we do every morning on Sunday mornings, we give it to God, we say it out loud, God, my guilt is your responsibility, and then you walk away free. That's what Jesus is for. You never have to think about your guilt again. There's no hiding from it. There's no suppressing it. There's no repressing it. You get to go free because of Jesus. That's what Jesus is for. The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church. Located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to HopeInTigard.com. I'm going to ask you an important question here. In fact, it very well may be the most important question that I can ask you. It's that important because the implication of this question, it... It changed everything. The implications of this question, it changes the way that you live, it changes the way that you think, it changes the way that you make decisions, it's that important of a question. Are you ready for it? What is Jesus for? We have been getting ready to answer this question for four weeks now. Uh, We began this sermon series by talking about what grace is. We learned that grace is undeserved love love that we could never hope to deserve. The second week we talked about how it is that that grace comes to be ours, that it only comes to us by faith. Nothing that we do. The next week we talked about the Bible and how the Bible is the only place that we can come to learn about this grace that comes to us by faith. Last week we looked at the fall into sin and we looked at what God did to begin His plan of salvation for us. This week, we answer this most important question. What is Jesus for? This week, we look at Jesus. And we look at God's final act in the plan of salvation. We'll look at this question. We'll answer this question. We'll see Jesus paying for our sins. And we're going to do this by looking at Jesus through the eyes of of a famous biblical character. His name is Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman governor at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, and he was the one responsible for putting Jesus to death. We're going to look at Jesus and, his, and what he did to save us from our sins through Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 26. Listen in. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed him Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now, it doesn't matter who you are. It really doesn't. It does not matter who you are. Every person can agree on this. Guilt needs to be dealt with. I think everybody can agree with that. I've never met a person who who really enjoys walking around in their daily life with guilt weighing them down. I've never met anybody like that. I don't know if you have either. Guilt has to be dealt with. It doesn't matter if you are a religious person or whether you are outside of the church. I think everybody is familiar. I could quote you the statistics about about what happens to you when guilt goes unchecked. It has physical effects. It has emotional effects. It has spiritual effects. I think everyone could agree. It doesn't matter who you are. We can all agree that guilt must be dealt with, right? Really, the evidence of that fact is all over this text. That's what this entire text is about. It's dealing with guilt. Matthew spends 16 verses talking about Pilate, Dealing with his guilt in his role of Jesus' death. 16 verses. And that is a significant amount of time in the the grand scheme of things. That's a big deal. This is about Pilate dealing with his guilt. You know, we can start from the beginning here. We are told that Pilate is the guy in charge right now. He is the Roman governor ruling over the Jewish people. That is a tough job. And we can know from the very beginning another fact, that since Pilate is the Roman governor and the Roman people are the ones who are in charge at this time, we know that it is Pilate who is the only one who has the authority to pull the trigger to crucify Jesus. We know that Pilate knows this, that if Jesus is going to die, it's going to be because of his decision. Something else that we can know about Pilate is that he was a politically wise and savvy man. There would be no other way that he could have risen to be the governor of this time and of this place. He knew people. He understood how people work, what motivates them, and he understood complex situations like this one. Matthew wanted us to make to know that this is what Pilate was like. He wrote this: that Pilate knew it was out of envy that they handed Jesus over to him. In other words, Pilate knew that this whole thing was a sham. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent from the very beginning. He knew that the only reason that the chief priests, the Pharisees, the only reason that they were bringing Jesus to him is because they were jealous of him. And that they were afraid that they were going to have their power and their position taken from them. Pilate knew this from the very beginning. And so, as politically wise and savvy as he was, he saw that he was trapped. On the one side, either he was going to convict an innocent man or, he was going to let that innocent man go free and he was going to deal with an uprising in his territory and he was going to have to answer to Caesar for that. He was trapped. And he knew that either way, he was going to have to deal with guilt. And, and what made this, this case so impossibly difficult was Pilate was the nature of Jesus. Jesus. Because not only was Jesus innocent of the crimes that were being brought against him, Jesus was actually truly perfect. By this time in his career, Pilate had probably sat over and judged over hundreds of cases, if not thousands. He was used to reading people, he was used to understanding a tribe. And so as the the Jewish people brought forth their accusations, he knew that it was a sham, and so he just watched Jesus. And as bomb after bomb waved over Jesus, Pilate watched as not one drip of frustration or indignation or anger stole across Jesus' face or body language. Pilate even tried to get a little bit of a rise out of Jesus. He wanted Jesus to stand up and defend himself. He told Jesus, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But it didn't work. Jesus continued to sit quietly and said nothing. And as he did that, Pilate grew to understand more and more clearly how innocent Jesus was. As Jesus saw it, so comfortable and confident in his innocence. And as he sat, so willing to take the accusations being thrown at him, he understood that Jesus was something other. Matthew made sure that we knew this too. Historically, he wrote this down, that Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Again, the pilot is seeing how trapped he is. He's going to have to make a significant decision here. Either he is going to send an innocent man, a perfect, otherworldly man, to be crucified, or he's going to have to deal with, With the crowd. He can feel his guilt rising. As he sat on his judge's chair, wrestling with this decision, his wife sent him a message that piled on to the guilt and the complexity of his decision. This must have been such a rare thing. That a message from his wife about a dream reached him while he was on his judge's seat. His wife sent him this urgent message and the message was this. She, she urged him and said, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. All of this was so problematic for Pilate. He was a man who is used to dealing out justice in order to keep peace because he understood something about humanity, that, ev- that there is guilt everywhere. And so he kept the peace. Peace. But in this, he was able to see a unique situation in which on one side there was no guilt. And so he saw that if he was going to deal in injustice, he was going to have to deal with an outbreak of rage. Pilate had one great hope left for resolving this situation without having to make this decision himself. He had established a tradition during his time as governor that during the feast time, he would allow the people to choose a prisoner that would go free. He had done this to kind of endear himself to the people that he ruled over, and this year he was glad that he did that because he really needed to leverage this situation. And so he gave them a choice of two prisoners that they could release. One of them was named Jesus. The other one was named Barabbas. And maybe you know this about Barabbas. Barabbas was a really bad dude. He was the kind of prisoner that even the most cold-blooded thugs on the streets of Jerusalem would have started sweating when they found out that Barabbas is back. Pilate was counting on the fear of the people to take over their anger at Jesus so that they would release Bar- release Jesus to keep Barabbas in chains and to keep themselves safe but as he presented them with the choice they, they shouted back at him give us Barabbas and in panic Pilate started backpedaling and he started talking to the crowd he said what do you want me to do with Jesus then Crucify him. Pilate was so backed into a corner, he was going to be forced to make a decision. He felt as though the Jewish people were forcing his hand. Either one innocent man is going to die, or we are going to start something so big that many people are going to die and you're going to lose your job. Pilate could feel his guilt rising. He knew he had to be rid of it. See, this is where I want you to really pay close attention here. Pilate's going to try and deal with the guilt preemptively before he even makes his decision. He is a politically wise, astute, and savvy man. He has seen through the grandstanding of the religious leaders. He has seen the otherness, the perfection, the innocence of Jesus. He has heard the warning from his wife, and he knows within himself that in the moments to come, he is going to have to face up in his own heart with convicting an innocent man. And so preemptively, before he even announces his decision, he tries to get rid of his guilt. What does he do? He tries to wash his hands. And once he washes his hands, as if getting dirt and grime off of your skin is going to rid your soul of the guilt of killing an innocent man. After he washes his hand, he announces to the crowd that You know, his blood is on you now. Can you imagine the kind of of spiritual panic that must have been over Pilate in this moment that he's trying to pass off the blame onto the crowd? Have you ever experienced guilt like that? The kind of guilt that makes you want to take a shower because your guilt is weighing on you so much and just wearing your clothes and being in the same skin that you're in right now feels dirty. The kind of guilt that makes your conscience burn in your chest and makes you want to avoid anything that associates you with the guilt that you've incurred. I remember my first experience with guilt like that as a little kid playing with my friends in the street. My parents had told me, don't play baseball in the street. You might break a window. And as wise young children, we went and we played baseball in the street. And you know that feeling, that really awesome feeling that goes through your body when you know that you just made awesome, really solid contact with the pitch? I had that feeling in my chest. I made really awesome, solid contact with the pitch and I saw the ball go in a perfect art and then my heart sank in my chest as I saw the ball arcing its way in slow motion towards the picture window at our neighbor's house. I remember seeing the glass shatter. I remember hearing the tinkling of the glass as it fell into the house. I remember the bellow of my friend's dad as he shouted in surprise inside the house. I had already started running to first base. I just kept running. I ran into my backyard and I hid. I literally hid myself behind the bushes I knew that I was guilty of not only disobeying my parents, but of causing damage to my neighbor's property. I was feeling so guilty, and I was trying to deal with it myself. I figured if nobody can find me, then I can't be guilty anymore. See, that's how we try and deal with guilt our way. We try and hide from it. Or we try to ignore the memories of of, of the guilt that we've done. We try to suppress them and push them down and try to convince ourselves that that's just part of the past and that doesn't have any effect on me anymore. Or we try to rationalize them and try and tell ourselves that it wasn't that bad. That's what trying to deal with guilt our way looks like. I'm imploring you today, Don't try to deal with guilt your way. Don't try to wash your hands of your guilt. Don't try and do that. You know that it doesn't work. It doesn't work to try and forget the thing that you did that Friday night back in college. It doesn't work to suppress the knowledge of what you did to your coworker, it doesn't work to try to rationalize all the things that you've done in your past. It doesn't work to try and deal with your guilt your way. I implore you. Deal with your guilt God's way. It's so much better. You know, it's actually super interesting that, that Pilate, in a way, shows us how to deal with guilt God's way. Pilate, he's standing up there. He has just washed his hands. He has just transferred the guilt over to Jesus. He has just sentenced Jesus to be crucified. Even though he knows that Jesus is innocent. And you notice the way that he tried to deal preemptively with his guilt. He tried to wash his hands of it. And when that didn't work, he tried to transfer the guilt to some, someone else. You know, you can recognize about what Pilate did that this actually is right in a lot of ways. Pilate knew that the guilt for what he was going to do would be too much for him to handle. He knew that the guilt that he would carry for for convicting Jesus would change the way that he lived, the way that he thought, the way that he made decisions. And so he knew that in order to move forward as governor and as a person, he would have to be rid of his guilt. We know that too. And Pilate knew that the only way to deal with guilt is to transfer it to someone else so someone else can deal with it. We know that too. And we also know where Pilate went wrong, right? He tried to transfer his guilt to guilty people. He tried to transfer his guilt to the crowd even though Jesus was standing right in front of him, even though the only one who was truly innocent, the only one who could truly bear his guilt, was standing right in front of him. Pilate was politically savvy, astute, and wise. He knew many things. He understood people. He understood co- complex situations, but he didn't know this. He didn't know what you and I get to know today. That this is what Jesus is for. Jesus is for guilt. That's why he came to earth. That's why he stood and took the accusations on himself. That's why he stood silently and regally as he was put on trial. That's why he came to earth at all. It was to finish out a divine strategy to carry all the guilt for all people of all time. To take it on himself, to carry it, to bear it, and to bury it eternally. Jesus was there. Jesus was on earth. That's what Jesus is for, to receive, to take, and to forgive guilt so that we wouldn't have to hide, so that we wouldn't have to suppress it so that we wouldn't have to run from it. That's what Jesus is for. You know, this is how you deal with guilt God's way. You give it to God. Just like we do every morning on Sunday mornings, we give it to God, we say it out loud, God, my guilt is your responsibility, and then you walk away free. That's what Jesus is for. You never have to think about your guilt again. There's no hiding from it. There's no suppressing it. There's no repressing it. You get to go free because of Jesus. That's what Jesus is for. So now I'm going to ask you this big question again. It's the biggest question that I can ask you because the implications of this question, it changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you live. It changes the way that you make decisions. What is Jesus for? Jesus is for taking away your guilt. Jesus died to bury your guilt forever. Jesus lives so that you can live great, guilt free. Can you internalize that this morning with me? Jesus died on the cross. He received your guilt on himself, and when he died, your guilt died with him. You know the result of that. Internalize this with me. God looks at you, and because of Jesus, he sees perfection. You know what that means? If God looks at you and he sees perfection, you can look at yourself and see perfection too. You can live your life as one who is guilt-free, who is, who is forgiven, who is perfect, who is loved. And do you know what happens for people who are able to live guilt-free? Not only do they get to live guilt free on earth, they get to live perfectly, innocently, guilt free in heaven. That's what Jesus is for.